You are listening to Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement, with your host, Randy Sutton. Here we are, another Randy and Ray rant here. Uh, We're going to be talking about all things law enforcement. In case you don't know who we are, I'm Randy Sutton, a 34-year police veteran, uh, retired as a lieutenant with the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department, the author of A Cop's Life and uh, numerous other books, founder of The Wounded Blue, the National Assistance and Support Organization for Injured and Disabled Law Enforcement Officers, and Ray, my counterpart, go ahead and tell them all about you, Ray. All right, I'll fluff myself up. I'm uh, about a 20-year vet, uh, two different agencies. I've worked everything from gangs to patrol to detectives to the jails, all that good stuff. Uh, left as a sergeant, and now I just get to run my mouth and actually say what I think to, uh, to support the blue. So we have a good time. And that's what we do here. We support law enforcement in uh, all kinds of different ways. But this show is about the truth, the truth about the American law enforcement officer and the truth behind the headlines that you may or may not be reading. But uh, we talk about everything involving law enforcement. So there is never a shortage of topics and, and, the, and the craziness that we see and the, and the liberal insanity with the, uh, with the continuation of the war on cops in all kinds of different pervasive ways. Um, let's talk about, uh, you know, Ray, I had on my radio show, my, uh, my Blue Lives radio show, I had the, um, the president of the American District Attorneys Association. And he was a fascinating guest, man. He, uh, and we talked about these uh, activist prosecutors. And, um, and, and one of the questions I had was, you know, who holds them accountable? And the answer is nobody holds them accountable. Um, basically, the voters do. So I wonder what the voters of Philadelphia are going to have to say about their, their newly elected um, um, activist district attorney, Krasner, with this report. Career criminal had 184 charges dropped thanks to cop-hating district attorney. According to police, Anthony O'Connor of Jameson is a career burglar. Um, he's, he, he broke into 27 apartment buildings, and the district attorney's office dropped all the charges, not only dropped the charges, but didn't even allow them to go on his record. Oh, we wouldn't want his record to be messed up, Randy. That's just oh, no. nice. Come on. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> so so Krasner has already decided he's not going to prosecute a whole bunch of, of, of other stuff. He's, he doesn't prosecute for, uh, let's see what it is. Um, he doesn't prosecute for prostitution. He doesn't, pro- uh, oh, he's, he's, uh, he's been dropping uh, murder charges uh, to, to lower level stuff, you know, so it's only murder. No big deal. Yeah. Um, he's got a big heart for convicted criminals. Um, he's, uh, oh, he's decriminalized drug dealing. Oh, retail theft. Uh, yeah. So now he's added burglary to his, to his, um, repertoire of crimes that he refuses to prosecute. It sounds like they're trying to make another Chicago or, uh, St. Louis or just, just take it all the way off the rails. Like, I, I hear those things and you get these activist DAs and prosecutors. Um, and I've got a story on one after this, but you know, look at San Francisco. They're like the whole, the whole idea is like, we're just not going to prosecute these crimes. We don't care that they're actual crimes. We don't care that these are laws on the books. We don't care that police can go out and, and try to enforce these and may end up getting in use of force or in, force 
incidents or injured enforcing these laws. We're just, we're just going to decide that's not a problem anymore. That's where we're at. It's, it's just gross, dude. Between, between what's going on in California, in New York, and, and Philadelphia, we're seeing the system being eaten from within. We're seeing, we're seeing the criminal justice system being dismantled internally. And, and one of the, you know, the unfortunate reality is this, that um, there is a, there's a lot of money being placed into the coffers of these activist district attorneys who are then, you know, it's George Soros money, who is, you know, of course, dedicated to destroying this country. And, um, and, and these district attorneys, these, uh, these, these men and women who are getting elected are then, are then creating a, a, a firestorm of public safety issues because of their political agendas, not because of it's the right thing to do. No, they, they infiltrate into the justice system and then they try to turn and call everything about it racist and, and tear it down. And then what happens is, you know, the police no longer have any support from within. The system breaks on, on the good guy side and that's just not, that's just not a, a recipe for success or safety for any community out there. Um, on this same line, did you see the Kim Gardner story this week? Well, not only did I see the Kim Gardner story, I actually just got off the phone with the, um, with the president of the St. Louis Police Officers Association about Kim Gardner. Oh, let's, let's talk, let's just, this goes right along with what we're talking about. So let's talk about that, dude. Like, I'd love to hear about that conversation. So the, the background on it is Kim Gardner, the, uh, the circuit attorney, the activist DA out of St. Louis, who's we've talked about her numerous times already numerous because times. she's out of control with her anti-police hate. Um, she's suing the, the uh, St. Louis PD be, because uh, she's, she's uh, basically saying that um, the St. Louis PD is trying to silence her in an attempt to remove her from office as part of a racist conspiracy because she was a victim of a traffic stop that she claims was on Christmas Eve. And it lasted 15 minutes, but there's a problem. There's a video. It was actually on the 23rd and it was video. only six minutes. And the reason probably why it was six minutes is because one of her investigators showed up to interfere with the stop in the first place. So just more yeah, of the so, same with her. So she gets stopped because she's driving at night with no headlights. <laughs> no big deal. So the officer stops her. Um, I think about as legitimate a stop as you could be. And then she decides that she's going to make this into, a, a, this is an intimidation stop. That this is, and she, she you know, and the, the, the audacity of this woman is amazing. She gets caught lying about it. As you said, this whole thing is on video. She, she uh, you know, um, takes it from what it was, a simple traffic stop with a warning yet. Didn't even get a ticket. Very intimidating, though, Randy. Come and on. she makes it into, into a racial political issue. Um, and, and even though she's caught lying, even though there is, there is body cam and, and also dash cam video, which shows that she's lying, she continues to tell the narrative of this, this made-up um, um, conspiracy against her. And the fact of the matter is, She's the one that's incompetent. She's the one that has gone to war against the cops. She, one of her beauties 
in, in, in office is that she has simply declared a number of police officers and there's no, there's, there's, there's no um, um, backup behind this. She's just said they're racist, so they can't testify. Yeah, they're just racist, Randy. Come on. The cops are racist. Don't you know that? And, and, and if the police association um, dares to challenge her, she claims it's a racist conspiracy. Well, yeah, I mean, they're, they're trying to, uh, to intimidate her out of office, like, you know, just from doing their job. How do you get intimidated out of office? <laughs> I don't know. It's a mess. I, the accountability thing is what we always come back to with these DAs and prosecutors. I, you know, I realize they're, they're, they're publicly elected, so I don't know if, it's, if it falls on, on us for not getting the word out or if, if there needs to be something in place for some, uh, another check and balance. Like, can't, can't we impeach a DA? Like, what, what, let's look into this. What's going on? You know what I mean? Like, there has to be something. That, well, that's, that's actually one of the questions that I asked of the um, District Attorneys Association. I said, isn't there, you know, isn't there a code of ethics? Isn't there something that says that you can, you, you can take some action? And in reality, he said, no. I mean, there, he says, there is, a, there is a, uh, an oath of office. There is a, um, a code of ethics. But once you're an elected official, you're pretty much in there until you get diselected. Scary. Unless you get caught criminally doing something. Unless you're the president, right? Like then it's different. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? If you're the president, none of that applies. You know, it's just everybody else. It's cool. All right. Yeah. So, so this, so Fox, um, as you said, then one of her investigators, she probably called them and said, come, you know, come help me gets to the scene of the traffic stop and then gets in the cop's face apparently. And the, uh, the head of the police officers association, um, who I'm going to do an interview with on, uh, on, uh, for my TV show on life set. He, uh, basically he said he, that investigator should have gone to jail for interfering. Right. But the cop is doing what the cop does. You know, he, he makes a, a traffic stop for a minor offense he treats her like everybody else. He gives her a warning, but no, it's a racist intimidation tactic by the St. Louis Police Department. It's, it's a massive right-wing white supremacist conspiracy, Randy. Don't what you it know? Is. That's, what, that, that's what it is. <laughs> Let me talk about, I got another one. It's a conspiracy theory. This is a short one. It's a, it's an LAPD shooting. And I have a prop. I have a picture for this one. So, LAPD, it's, it's on the west side of the, the, the city, out in the Studio City area, essentially, and they get a call with a man with a gun call. So what do you do when you go with the man with a gun call? You're going expecting that, hey, someone might have a gun, right? Like, so the spidey senses are going, like you're a little bit more intense, maybe looking for uh, someone who could kill you or somebody else, right? So man with a gun call comes out, sergeant from LAPD shows up. Sure enough, there's a guy on the street, points an object at him that looks like this, okay? It ends up being a bicycle part, but let me ask you, in the middle of the night, if someone points this out to you on a man with a gun call, what are you gonna think? Uh, well, I'm gonna probably err on the side of my own life. Well, not in Los Angeles, because uh, now the community is demanding uh, justice for this, this shooting, <coughs> because it turns out this, this, the, uh, the subject who was shot was, uh, you know, he's got some mental issues, maybe, homeless guy. Um, and that's, that's the officer's fault. He should have known his entire history and, and diagnosis prior to arriving to a man with a gun call and getting 
what looks like a gun pointed at him um, and, and done an intervention, Randy. Like, you know, when, when it's mentally ill, you can't be hurt or injured by any of, anyone who's mentally ill. So this should have been an intervention, and uh, they're saying this cop was wrong. Oh, yes. Oh, and it was, uh, it was racist. Of course, right? Like, how can you win in that situation? Like, what, like if, if these community activists are being honest about, about things, like, and they, they place themselves in, in the officer's shoes even one time in, in a situation like this, I don't believe they would ever do it. That's why I, I call bullshit on almost all of, all of these, these outrages on these shootings. It's just, it's just about politics, man. It's, it's crazy that they would even use this as an example. Yeah, it wasn't a gun. It looks like one, and it's a man with a gun call. What are people supposed to do? People who called the cops thought it was a gun, too. Oh, yeah, and the witness that was there said they thought it was a gun. But here's what, they, here's what the uh, – this is what the quote is for the, from the, from the uh, people who are protesting. <laughs> we continue to see LAPD as first responders to the struggles of poverty. We continue to see LAPD as first responders to struggles with mental health. And that increased enforcement and contact with LV, LAPD will continue to produce dire outcomes. Uh-huh. Well, um, what are you supposed to do? I mean, you know, you, the cops can only do what they can do. They uh, respond to... Um, what a million calls a day around the nation. Um, sometimes people uh, like this guy, who knows what his mental capacity was? I have no idea, and, and no, and no cop knows until there until the the investigation is complete. And by that time, in that one split second where you have to make a decision of life or death, well, you make that decision. And and the more the more criticism and the more um, now, you know, and let's look at this another way, Ray. Remember that they recently passed um, a, a, an entirely different use of, of uh, force continuum or law in California to make it easier to prosecute police officers. Yes. So um, now this happened in Los Angeles where things aren't, at least the district attorney there isn't an activist. But Remember this, that there is an election coming up and the former district attorney from um, San Francisco, who is a, 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 another activist, is making a major push and funded by George Soros money to take over the office of L.A. County Prosecutor. That is, that would be an absolute disaster. Like I worked L.A. County Sheriff. Um, we, we always got pretty lucky with, with our DAs um, as far as partnering with us for the most part, but I cannot imagine LA County going the way of San Francisco because look, San Francisco is, is not as big as people think. Like it's, 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 it's a large city, but that is nothing. Like LA County is 10 million people. Right. I, I can't imagine what happens. Like you think New York's bad with bail reform, get an activist DA into LA, see what happens. And this is exactly what's happening. So the, this uh, thing, his name is Gascon. Disaster, disaster. Come, uh, like, and, and here's the weird part. I think this guy used to be a cop. Oh, great. I think. And, but he is completely on the left, um, an, anti, an anti-law enforcement prosecutor, um, you know, believes in, in, you know, completely drinking the Kool-Aid of the uh, decriminalization of everything. And 
He wants in, and you know that they are sticking millions of dollars of George Soros money into this campaign, man. It's going to be ugly. And that's a 60-40, you know, maybe 65-35, you know, Democrat-controlled county too. So the, the possibility of it happening, if it's presented right, is real, and that is very scary. Like, to be a cop in L.A. and have, have an activist DA, uh, I, I would have quit faster than I did. You know what I mean? Like, that's yeah. just – that's a horrible idea, um, not just for the safety of the community, but for these cops out there. I mean, they, there's a lot of OISs, like a lot of shootings that go down in that county because it is a war zone in some places. Yeah. And to, to not have a DA that will do an honest investigation or you have to even worry that the DA is, is going to screw you on a good shooting, like that's not worth it. Like at that point, it's not worth it. So I hope they know what they're really the, – the, you know, the real effect is on, on some of these decisions that people make and getting these prosecutors in the city like – what happens five years from now from all the damage they cause? Because you can't unwind yeah. a lot of this stuff. Right, right. Yeah, the, and you know, it doesn't, it, you don't flip a switch and, and everybody sees the, sees the ramifications. It, it takes time for it to, um, you know, for, for this disease to spread and, and to see the, the destruction that, it, that, you know, will occur from it. I mean, look at, look at what we have seen with the with Proposition Forty Seven and some of the other um, malignancies that have been foisted upon the public by uh, agenda-driven politicians, I mean, you you basically seen the decriminalization. I mean, what you you get your car broken into now, and it's not even basically a crime in yeah, it's nothing. In, in California. There's no penalty for anything. I mean, no. basically, it's just hey, don't leave nice stuff in your car because it's going to get stolen. We can't help you. But that's pretty much California now. Yeah. Like, and it's sad. I mean, I remember when people used to go to jail for stealing stuff and that just doesn't happen anymore. Um, the dismantling of California is, is getting more complete every week with every ridiculous law that, that they, they push and the more activism that they allow in the government. So, and then you, th and then, yeah, you throw into it um, the incendiary of a, of an activist district attorney who, whose agenda is right along with the dismantling of the criminal justice system. And, and you get, you get wholesale, um, uh, you know, just open the doors, man. Open the doors of the jails. Just let everybody out. Well, and then, and then, and then you put the cops in the position where they have to, to, to wonder if anything is worth it anymore. Like, and, and when that happens, it's, you get Chicago. Like, those guys don't want to go out and get proactive because they get screwed when they do. And, and exactly. then guess what happens? The citizens get hurt. Like, that, that's just the story that's getting, getting put out there. So. It's, uh, it's crazy, man. Activism. I never thought like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a fourth generation cop. I had to think about it for a second. And I can't even, growing up, I did not hear about prosecutors and DAs going after cops and being activists and anti-police and not enforcing. Like this, this is a new thing. It's, it's happened in the last 10 years. And it's, uh, yeah. Man, yeah, it continues this path. We're, we're in trouble. We are in trouble. No doubt about it. And, and you know, the, the, the district attorney is supposed to be on the side of the people. And that is when I say on the side of the people, protecting the people. I've got some exciting news if you are a coffee lover. And that is that Law Dog Coffee has been born. The Law Dog Coffee Company is a law enforcement friendly um, company that makes delicious, and I mean delicious, roasted coffee. Okay, here's the deal. Law Dog Coffee Company. It's lawdogcoffee.com. It is a subscription-based uh, company. So 
the the coffee which is phenomenal is delivered directly to your door you just you just order how how often you want it and it gets delivered to you now why am i so um proud about this well because this company came to me and said randy we are a cause oriented company and we believe in helping our injured and disabled law enforcement officers so for every sale they will donate 15% of their revenue to the Wounded Blue. The Wounded Blue, the National Assistance and Support Organization for Injured and Disabled Law Enforcement Officers. They are also a number one sponsor of the Wounded Blue. So, not only is the coffee phenomenal, I drink it all the time, but it is, it is helping our law enforcement community. So, what could be better than that? Uh, go to the website. LawDogCoffee.com. Oh, by the way, they got some of the baddest gear you can imagine. Great clothing line, all kinds of cool mugs and hats and, and all kinds of stuff like that. Uh, so check it out. And 15% of all revenue goes to the Wounded Blue. You're going to love it. And this is, I made this up. I kind of like this. Law Dog Coffee. Tastes so good. Ought to be illegal. Spreading the out loud truth from sea to shining sea. AmericaOutloud.com is the voice of liberty and justice for all. The goal is to deliver a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world. To unite people from all backgrounds and beliefs in an effort to advance humanity. We are the vision of the voices. Welcome to the new era in communications. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Think back to the last time you felt healthy and energized. The best times of our lives occur when we're at the peak of our health, sleeping better, full of energy and focus. We know that fades with age, and you might be feeling the effects of aging as low energy and poor sleep. But it doesn't have to be that way. There haven't been any nutrition systems designed to rejuvenate our bodies as we get older until now. Healthy Cell Pro is the only multinutrient system that impacts the building block of your body, the cell. Created by anti-aging expert and Nobel Prize nominee, Dr. Vincent Giampapa, award-winning Healthy Cell Pro cuts through the complexity of nutrition supplements by simply giving you the purest ingredients, filling dietary gaps to nourish your cells and enhance your quality of life for optimal performance. Visit HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for an exclusive discount or call 844-869-9958. Why are there laws to begin with? I mean, you know, societal contract is is something that you, you rarely even hear any mention of. If you are a citizen, you have a societal contract with the people around you. If you're not living by yourself, you're living with other human beings. There's a standard of conduct. And what laws do is codify that conduct for the good of everyone. So it provides for um, a system of conduct that is acceptable for this public safety. Well, if you strip that away and, it, and, that, and that societal contract doesn't exist and there is no accountability for 
anything that you do, that is, that's opening the door to anarchy. And anarchy is the destruction of this nation. 100%. If it, once it gets too far out, it's not coming back. That's the problem. Um, once they realize that, you know, criminals can go out and do whatever they want with no recourse, like it, it's, it's almost lost at that point because good luck finding cops that want to deal with that. You know what I mean? It's, it's, uh, it just kind of compounds and gets worse and worse and worse on both sides as, as it continues. So we'll it, see what but, happens. But this is a societal impact. I mean, um, in fact, one of the, one of the things I wanted to bring up today was this um, uh, NFL launches social justice ad campaign highlighting police shooting. Yep. I, there, okay. Is there any more expensive advertising than the, than the, um, than the playoffs and the, what do they call the Super Bowl? I think. I think that's what they call it. I forgot yeah. about all that NFL stuff. I don't pay, I don't much pay much attention to football. <laughs> I, I, I have no really desire to watch any of it, but I understand the, the, the fan base and the power of it. So if the, if the NFL uh, football players association, the NFL national football league has launched an ad campaign highlighting the fatal 2015 encounter between a stranded motor motorist and a plainclothes Palm beach gardens, police officer. Now this shooting was a bad shooting. Yep. The officer was convicted and went to prison. Correct. The because system the worked. System, because the system worked. He did, he did wrong. He acted improperly. He acted within, without the scope of his, of his office. And he was subsequently charged and convicted. That's the system working. But the NFL seems to want to take this isolated case where, where this police officer did commit misconduct and did commit murder and then use this as a shining example of policing in America. The power of this is incredible, and yet they're using this power for all the wrong reasons to put forth a, a false narrative that has been pushed and pushed and pushed about racist policing in America, and it's wrong. You know, and I don't think either one of us will sit here and say that every cop shooting and every cop in America is perfect and great. No. And yes, bad things happen. And guess what? Cops get held to a higher standard than anyone else. I promise you, if you screw up as a cop, you're going to get fried 10 times more than, than a regular person because that's Absolutely. the way it goes. And everyone knows that. So for them to use something that was actually it went in the system, and from what I can tell and what I read about that shooting, it was a bad shooting. You know, it, he didn't identify himself, and, and he was in plain clothes, and it just went sideways fast, and he went to jail for it. So for them to choose that and, and make it an issue and put it in front of all these people and, and not really tell the story and, and all those things that, that, you know, he was convicted and put away, I believe, for like 25 years is what it was. Yeah. Um, they're just, just, you know, just stoking the fire. And look, they got their own problems. Instead of worrying about police who are getting arrested, how about you worry about Aaron Hernandez? Let's, let's go talk about the Netflix, you know, thing that's going on where you got, where you got a wannabe gangster murdering people while he's winning Super Bowls. Like, what are we talking about here? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, now, it, too bad the police can't afford to put up uh, an ad in, on, on, on during Super Bowl about all the, uh, the the NFL players who are committing rape and robbery and 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 murder, et cetera, and so forth. Um, how about that? Could, I, I wouldn't. Maybe we should start a GoFundMe campaign to put up a commercial 
in the in the uh, in the Super Bowl that would highlight some of the some of the 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 best and brightest of the NFL. What do you think about that? I, I love that. And, and, and let's put something in perspective. There's probably about a thousand NFL players. So maybe 10,000 that have played in the last 10 years, something like that. Um, how many cops are there? hundred, 200,000. I don't even know. Many, many, many more. I would venture to bet. Oh, there we go. The lion's back. I would, I would venture to guess that there's probably more crime committed by those thousand or 10,000 players that the versus how many criminal filings against police officers in this yeah. country year for year. Yeah. Just say Excuse me. Um, is it okay if I drink my water? <laughs> All right. So, but I share. Um, I share. <laughs> Let, let's since we're talking about companies that that uh, that, that are asses to the police. I've got another one for you. Um, Apple. All right. So Apple Apple computers in the news. The uh, the Pensacola shooter, the the Saudi military guy that came <coughs> in and shot up the place. Um, killed a couple people, was put down by officers who responded from the agency because the, uh, you know, the government won't allow uh, military people to be armed on base and have to right, be protected right, by outside law enforcement. Another yeah. issue, but ridiculous. Um, they, get, they get a hold of these phones, these iPhones, from, from the, uh, the shooters, the terrorists that did this, and Apple will not open the phones for, for the feds to, to see what's in there, um, if there's anything pertaining to other attacks, other you know, people who are they're, they're conspiring with nothing. So I, I just have to understand why a, Apple would not crack these phones because I'll tell you what, they used to, when I was a detective, I, I personally worked a robbery case where I ended up with a phone, couldn't open it, had a warrant written, sent it to Apple with the warrant. They cracked it, opened it and sent it back. So I'm not sure what changed in the last eight or nine years. Or I, I, mean, I don't even know how long ago that was, but it was iPhones, right? I don't yeah. know why they stopped cooperating and how this is, this is something that, that we can't overcome. Like, why would they not? They did it the same thing in the San Bernardino when, when, when the, the terrorist attacks happened yeah. in San Bernardino, they wouldn't open their phones either. So what is with Apple? What's your thoughts on that? I, I personally, I think they need to be. I think they need to be held criminally liable. You get a search warrant, and you fail to you fail to um, accommodate that search warrant. You need to go to jail. Yep. I mean, they're a they're a. I mean, I don't even know how much money they make. Billion billions of dollars, right? And they don't have the social conscious to do the right thing and protect the American people, the people who are making them gazillionaires. This, this, it's outrageous. But what's more outrageous is they don't go after these people. They just, you know, the, the, the attorney general, um, you know, comes out public, publicly and, and decries what they're doing. But is, isn't there a provision? I mean, there's a federal law for everything. Yeah. Um, I would think that, that to, to hold those people accountable, somebody needs to go to jail and then mm, they'll probably crack the code. Yeah, and they need to get their priorities straight. Like, are, are they not concerned with protecting Americans or anyone for that matter? Like, how is politics so played into this that they won't they won't cooperate with this? It's just, it's disgusting, to be honest, because you who know, knows I, what's on these Okay, I, I get the fact that they want to have a search warrant. I understand that. Rather than, you know, a police, you know, the police or the FBI going to them and saying, hey, please do this, even though that would be the right thing to do. But you cross all the T's, you dot all the I's, you prepare a search warrant, you go to the, the, the uh, provider and you say, here's what, here's the, here it is. And then for them to refuse, 
It's I don't understand the refuse part. Like, how does that work on a search warrant? I'm not sure how you just work. refuse and, and we're like, okay, never mind. Like, well, it's very strange to me. Yeah, talk about holding people accountable. It's always the police who need to be held accountable for for the uh, um, things that that the public. There's certain elements of the public demand of them. You know the. Uh, but but when it comes down to other people's accountability, district attorneys. Um, the the uh, the the people who are making you know five hundred million dollars a year at, at Apple they're not being held accountable and uh, I guarantee you they're being a lot more destructive to um, to the nation's safety than uh, than the police are one hundred percent one hundred percent it's it's a uh, it's crazy you see more and more of this stuff so um, let's see what what else we got what else we got I got, I got a couple more here for sure. Oh, listen, I got a stack, buddy. I got Go a ahead. Stack. I, I'm taking all the thunder right now. I'm, I'm <laughs> going to hand it back to you. <laughs> well, you know, let's talk about, let's talk about uh, a story that came out uh, just a few days ago. And uh, see, uh, U.S. counterterrorism officials warned police to be on alert for ambush attacks. You know, this is something that I think is, is, um, really needs to be brought to the, to the light of day. Um, there, there have been so many ambush attacks on law enforcement leading up to the deaths of and, and physical attacks of law enforcement officers in this country. Um, this isn't going away. This is just increasing. And now you add to this, the we've seen uh, what's been going on in Europe where um, it's actually terrorist attacks against law enforcement. Right. Now, we've seen this a couple times on American soil. But, um, but it's, it's now becoming apparent that this threat is ever, ever increasing. Well, and the first thing I think about is, is all the idiot administrations of, of these agencies that still won't let, uh, you know, officers have AR-15s or, you know, higher grade body armor or any mm -hmm. of the things that might make them scary and intimidating. This is the world that we now live in. And this country has come to this where you know, it, it, we've turned to Israel 10 years ago where it's possible that as a cop, you're going to have to take on someone doing an attack in, in the U.S., not, not overseas, on the street and have to get it on with somebody yes. with, with, with weapons, explosives, the whole thing. That is reality. It does not matter if it's a big city or if it's a rural America. I mean, there, there was actually some, uh, some reports that some of the, the militias that I, Iran funds um, were teaching to do attacks in rural America rather than big cities because they were softer targets and easier to uh, to hit. Right. So, I mean, the world that we live in now, like to not support the police completely with with equipment and you know administrative support for these things, it gets more scary because it's 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 a different job than it was 20 years ago. It is much more violent. There's much more things happening. The the attacks on law enforcement are are getting crazier. Like look what happened in New Jersey a couple weeks ago. Like that was a what couple hour gunfight with those guys. They yeah. found a truck with 500 pounds of explosives in it or whatever it was that could have taken out a whole block. Well, and, and I got a, a little aside for, from that. Um, uh, Bernie Carrick, who was the police commissioner in the city of New York during the Rudy Giuliani days when the, when the, when the uh, world trade center was attacked, his son um, is a, uh, is a, is a police officer in New Jersey. And, uh, and believe it or not, his son was one of the officers who responded to that shooting where the, where the Jersey city cop was killed and where the Jewish people were, were uh, attacked by these terrorists. 
and uh, and he was instrumental in ending that threat. So talk about the the apple falling not far from the tree. The bravery of uh, of uh, Bernie Carrick's son and the other officers who were involved in that in that incredible terrorist attack. Um, that that is a demonstration of 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 the new threat facing law enforcement. And thank God that they used a Bearcat, an armored vehicle, to save the lives of, of, of people who were at the scene and also to bring the attack forward. But what are we, every time the police deploy a life-saving uh, piece of equipment like that, what happens? Oh, what do they need that for? It's militarization, you know, nope. this and that. Like, yeah, 100%, every time, every time. It's, it's yeah. the whole story. And you know, every time they, they, there's a budget in for one of those Linco Bearcats, right? They're a couple hundred grand or whatever they are. I've personally like been on operations where, where gunfights went off and the officers were able to, to beat a threat with people with automatic rifles twice because of Bearcats. Yeah. It is, it is a, something that you only need it when you need it, but when, if you don't have it, you're screwed. And there's lots of equipment and things like that that, that uh, aren't getting out because they're too scary and too military and, and too aggressive. And we need to get over that thought. And we, we you know, but, and, and here's where I say thank you to President Trump. Um, under the Obama administration, they ended the release of, of, of life-saving equipment like that to, to police organizations, saying that, oh, it's, it's military, it's, uh, you know, with all that nonsense. And even though it saves the lives of both police and citizens, those vehicles are used to rescue people. Yes. That's what they are used for. Yep. And, and the Obama administration, they, they uh, uh, admonished the police for even asking for that equipment. Well, I think within a week of Trump coming into office, he said, mm, uh, release that equipment to the police. And it's and, saving lives. And those, and, those, and those armored vehicles. of it. And those, those armored vehicles, like there's two functions. The biggest two functions is get between the shooter and, and the victim to protect them and get the shooters on our side up to the bad guys so they can take care of the problem. Like, why wouldn't you want things like that? Why wouldn't you want that? It's a great question. Does it make any sense? So it's scary, now, Randy. It makes the cops scary. Come on. We have this, this, this new threat coming out that is being you know, transmitted to all law enforcement officers. And, and what we are seeing nationally is a trend, a trend of not training police officers effectively for, um, for combat situations. Because we have to train them in much more politically correct and sensitive training. But the threat is real. The threat is there. It, I mean, literally, lives are being lost because of politics, the politics of, of progressive policing. And, and we're seeing police leaders that are embracing it. And I find that frightening. It's very frightening. And, and they're embracing it to keep their jobs and to stay in power and to get power. And, and it's just gross how they politicize safety. And that's what this really is. Like all these, all these things with, with even budgeting, like we're talking about with this equipment or not, not taking it from the feds or taking it. It's, it's just all about politics and they don't care about the cops in the street. They don't care about what actually happens when SWAT has to roll out and they have some, you know, some old equipment that's not going to do the job correctly, or there's better equipment out there that they should have, you know, or the regular patrol guy who, 
you know, doesn't have the, the heavy vest because it looks scary and it's too big. It's just all ridiculous politics. Yeah. It gets yeah. people hurt and, and makes people less safe. That's it. And the, but, and the other aspect is the training aspect. I mean, training, you know, for, for, for those who are not in policing, training is mandatory for law enforcement agencies. Now, it depends on what state you're in for how much you are mandated to have. But the more training you have, the better off you are doing your job. But there's, but there's precious little time that, that you are given to do that. So you want to use it for the most effective means possible. And as far as I'm concerned, the training that saves your life should take precedent over training that is, um, that is couched in, in political rhetoric or in, um, uh, you know, political correctness. Yep. But that's all we're seeing. And, and that's what we're doing. And, you know, I, I worked in two large agencies. So the training, like the shooting training, tactics training work was, was better than most. Not great. Not, not enough by any means. But you talk to some of these guys who are, you know, in different parts of the country, not on the coast. Oh yeah, I talked to someone, I, I, it was in the South somewhere. I don't, I don't want to say the wrong place, but I mean, we got to talking about just range qualifications, right? Just how many times do you get to shoot from your department? Once a year, once a year, they go out and plink the range. And I'm just like, how is that possible? Yeah. That it's okay for you guys to be sent out on patrol shooting once a year. That's not good for anybody. That's good. That's, that, that's not unusual, Ray. I, it's scary though. But I, I'm, I went out and shot on my own, right? I'm one of those guys, the gun nuts, I guess. But uh, um, once a year, though, and no training, no, I mean, no, no budget for anything. That even some places I've been, the 24 hours mandatory year is it's racial profiling. It's this and that. It's not. It's yeah. not anything that's going to yeah. keep you safe on the street. Right, right. We and and so you know the 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 politics of this and the and the, the realities. The Tamir Rice shooting in uh, in Ohio, you know, it was a it was a terrible tragedy. Um, you know, a, a, a young a young man with a with a toy gun, um, and and the officers felt they were under threat and and killed him, and it was adjudicated as as a lawful shooting. Um, was it the result that anybody wanted? Hell no. <clears throat> but I was curious, <clears throat> right, as to the training given to those officers. So I contacted the, uh, the state of Ohio, their, uh, their police training commission. And I said, uh, how much, how much, once you get through the academy, I said, first of all, what's the basic academy? And it was like 600 hours, which is pretty low in, in this day and age for a basic academy, but it was 600 or so, so hours. And I said for, okay, how about after you get out, what's your annual training requirement? And they told me, and I almost, I, I almost dropped my teeth two hours a year. What? Two hours a year. That's probably like for uh, MDC certification and you're signing off on how to run people in the, in the crime system. That's yeah. all that's good for. And I, and I said, wait a minute, hold on a second. That's ludicrous. And they said, we know. In fact, so the state of this, the state Senate, after a, a similar incident, and and it, and it was reported, you know, that 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 those lack of training um, leads to leads to you know the, the a public safety hazard. Um, they mandated that the training requirement 
go up to, I don't know, it was eight hours or 12 hours, whatever it was. It wasn't that much. But then they refused to fund it. Of course. So they said, so in typical political world, they, they make it look like they did something. We increased the, the number of training hours. And then they don't fund it, so it doesn't really happen. But they've already made their political statement. It is such nonsense. It is, and, and who pays the price? The cops pay the price internally and, and, and effectively because of, of the lack of training. Uh, their lives are in danger. Their, um, uh, their futures are in danger because they're held accountable. And yet they don't give them the training or the proper equipment and then they hold them accountable when when a when a tragedy like Tamir Rice happens. Yeah, and and guess what? When you do, when it's time to get held accountable, whether that's criminally or civilly, um, they don't they don't hold anything back, right? They will they will hit you on every grain of, of detail in that incident and hold you accountable for every single action that you take. And guess what? If you're not prepared because of lack of training, that's not really on you. If you're going to like a four month academy and you get field training and you kicked out the door and you're doing two hours a year, like, good luck. I hope you're doing yeah. a lot on your own because your department is letting you, setting you <coughs> up to fail essentially. And the States and the, and, the, and the politics behind it for not funding it. It's, it's more of the same. It's just, it's just gross, man. I don't know. What, these shows just wind me up, Randy. I, I have to have a cocktail <laughs> once I'm done with these things. <laughs> First of all, I need to, if you're a law enforcement or you know someone in law enforcement who's been struggling with either emotional or physical injuries, that's why we exist. We have a peer support team. We call them peer advocate support team members made up of all cops who've been shot, stabbed, beaten, run over, screwed up and screwed over. There is no charge for this. We offer this, this free because we know that, that officers who have, or are facing emotional difficulties or physical difficulties often feel abandoned and alone. But you don't have to. That's why we are here. We believe in the Blue family. Easy to find us. Go to thewoundedblue.org, fill out a contact slip, and we'll have a peer, uh, a peer team member contact you. That's why we're here. Uh, we offer other services. We help people get into treatment, whether that treatment is for psychological trauma or, or uh, addiction issues, um, and it's confidential. We don't, we don't owe, owe any allegiances to any police agency. We owe our allegiance to the men and women who are fighting the fight, those who are active duty law enforcement officers, or if you're a former or retired law enforcement, we work with you as well. Call us, contact us, go to thewoundedblue.org. Make sure you do. It's a great organization. Uh, they're doing a lot of good work over there. So thewoundedblue.org, check that out. And uh, we'll be back, uh, I believe, next week for more of, of Randy and Ray's rants. There's something very important I want you to do for me. If you've been listening to the Voice of American Law Enforcement for any time, you know that we are very dedicated to the law enforcement community here. I would like you to go to a website. It's www.thewoundedblue.org. I want you to read about how we at this organization are aiding injured and disabled law enforcement officers. If you are a law enforcement officer and you have been injured or disabled and you feel forgotten and alone, this is why we exist. We have a fully trained peer support team, all made of police officers who have been shot, stabbed, beaten, run over, screwed up, and screwed up. They know what you're going through, and we exist for you. 
You are the part of the Blue family, and you deserve to be treated with respect and dignity. Unfortunately, many police agencies and cities do not treat their officers with respect and dignity when they are injured either physically or emotionally. So go to thewoundedblue.org. If you are a citizen and you want to help, please check out how you can join the Wounded Blue. And if you're a police officer or have been, exist for you. So check out thewoundedblue.org. Now, I would also urge you to see our film. It is on Amazon, it is on iTunes, it's the Microsoft Store, it's pretty much every platform you can imagine. It's called The Wounded Blue, Service, Sacrifice, Betrayed. You would be shocked at how the men and women of this, you know, the law enforcement community in this country, many are being treated with such disrespect. Many people, most people, even cops, believe that if you are severely injured in the line of duty, you're going to be taken care of financially and emotionally. In many cases, that is not true. Please watch the film and help the Wounded Blue. End of Watch with Randy Sutton. Each week here on Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement, we have the duty to pay our respects and homage to the men and women of the American law enforcement profession who have made the ultimate sacrifice and given their lives in the line of duty. We call it End of Watch. January has proven to be a very deadly first month for law enforcement, and the names that I'm going to read will bear that out. The first is Police Officer Paul Dunn of the Lakeland Police Department in Florida. Police Officer Paul Dunn was killed in a motorcycle crash on Lakeland Highlands Road, south of Lake Miram Drive at approximately 5.45 a.m. He was en route to the police station on his department motorcycle when he struck the raised median of the roadway. He was thrown from the motorcycle and sustained fatal injuries. Officer Dunn was a United States Marine Corps veteran. He had served with the Lakeland Police for six years, previously served with the Polk County Sheriff's Office for 12 years. He is survived by his wife, three children, and two stepdaughters. Police Officer Paul Dunn, Lakeland Police Department, Florida. End of watch, Thursday, January 9th, 2020. Police Officer Nicholas Reyna of the Lubbock Police Department in Texas. Police Officer Nicholas Reyna and Lieutenant Eric Hill of the Lubbock Fire Department were struck and killed by a vehicle while at the scene of a previous crash. Officers and rescue personnel were at the scene of an earlier single vehicle rollover crash on the interstate when a second vehicle also crossed the median. As officers then dealt with the second crash, a third vehicle left the travel lanes and struck Officer Reyna. Officer Reyna was struck and suffered fatal injuries. The other firefighter was killed and another critically injured. Officer Reyna served with the Lubbock Police Department for just one year. Police Officer Nicholas Reyna, Lubbock Police Department, Texas. End of watch, Saturday, January 11th, 2020. Detective Amber Joy Laced of the L.A. County Sheriff's Department in California. Detective Amber Laced was struck and killed by a vehicle at the intersection of Riverside Drive and Whitsett Avenue at 11.05 a.m. She was off duty when she observed an elderly woman fall in the roadway while attempting to cross at the intersection. Detective Laced immediately stopped her vehicle and assisted the woman off of the road in order to prevent the citizen from being struck. As Detective Laced returned to her car, she was struck by an oncoming vehicle. 
Detective Least had served with the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department for 12 years. She is survived by her two sons. Detective Amber Joy Laced, Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department, California. End of watch. Sunday, January 12, 2020. Deputy Sheriff Jareed Taylor of the Bryan County Sheriff's Office in Oklahoma. Deputy Sheriff Jareed Taylor was killed in an automobile crash while responding to an emergency call at approximately 6 a.m. His patrol car left the roadway and struck a tree on Old Country Highway 70 near Lone Oak Road. Deputy Taylor served with the Bryan County Sheriff's Office for just under two years. He is survived by his two children and fiance. Deputy Sheriff Jareed Taylor, Bryan County Sheriff's Office, Oklahoma. End of watch, Tuesday, January 14th, 2020. Officers Tiffany Victoria Blan Enriquez and Officer Kaluki Kalama of the Honolulu Police Department. Officer Tiffany Victoria Enriquez and Officer Kalaki Kalama were shot and killed while responding to a stabbing call at a home on Hibiscus Drive shortly after 9 a.m. An elderly woman had filed eviction paperwork against her tenant who suffered from mental health issues and had been falsely calling 911 repeatedly in recent weeks. The landlord and tenant became engaged in an argument, at which time the man stabbed the woman. Officer Enriquez was the first uh, officer to arrive at the scene and tended to the victim outside of the home. As she and other officers walked toward the house, the man opened fire, killing her. Officer Kalama was shot moments later, as he and other officers arrived on the scene. Both officers were shot in areas above their bullet-resistant vests. After the shooting, the officers, the man barricaded himself inside of his home and set it on fire. The flames spread to neighboring homes, destroying a total of seven homes. The man and two women were presumed dead in the fire. Officer Enriquez was a U.S. Army Air Force veteran. She had served with the Honolulu Police Department for seven years and previously with the Montgomery County Sheriff's Office in Tennessee. She is survived by three daughters and one grandson. Officer Tiffany Victoria Belon Enriquez and Officer Kaleki Kalama, Honolulu Police Department, end of watch, January 19th, 2020. Police Officer Katie Tyne of the Newport News Police Department in Virginia. Police Officer Katie Tyne died after being dragged by a vehicle while conducting an investigation. Police Officer Tyne and her partner while investigating reports of drug activity when they approached a car on the 1400 block of 16th Street in Newport News. During the investigation, the driver sped off, dragging Police Officer Tyne for a block. The vehicle struck a tree and Officer Tyne was pinned between the tree and the vehicle door. Police Officer Tyne was taken to the hospital where she died from her injuries. The driver of the vehicle was taken into custody, charged with felony homicide. Police Officer Tyne served with the Newport News Police Department for approximately one year, previously served in the United States Navy. She is survived by her two-year-old daughter. Police Officer Katie Tyne, Newport News Police, Virginia. End of watch, Thursday, January 23rd, 2020. Deputy Sheriff Sheldon Gordon Whiteman of the Long County Sheriff's Office in Georgia. Deputy Sheriff Sheldon Whiteman was killed in a crash while involved in a vehicle pursuit at approximately 3 a.m. Officers with the Ludwiki Police Department had initiated the pursuit when they attempted to stop a vehicle for a traffic violation. The vehicle fled onto Highway 57 
towards McIntosh County with officers in pursuit. Deputy Whiteman had just joined the pursuit when his vehicle left the roadway and struck a tree. He was transported to Liberty Regional Medical Center where he succumbed to his injuries. The vehicle that was being pursued was later found abandoned, but the driver remains large. Deputy Whiteman has served in the Long County Sheriff's Office for just four months. He had previously served with the Chatham County Sheriff's Office for four years. He is survived by his wife and two children. Deputy Sheriff Sheldon Gordon Whiteman, Long County Sheriff's Office, Georgia. End of watch, Thursday, January 23rd, 2020. All of these officers gave their lives in the line of duty, serving their communities and the people. May they rest in peace. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement, where we bring you everything about law enforcement from a law enforcement perspective. A couple things. If you are on Facebook, please come to my page. That is the voice of American law enforcement and like it and follow it. Also, um, since you're going to be on Facebook anyway, go to the Wounded Blue. And uh, like that and follow that as well. If you're a Twitterer, I'm at LT Randy Sutton. And um, I think that about covers my social media presence. I do want to hear from you. I'd love to hear from people that have uh, ideas about stories, about things you want me to cover. I try to be as responsive as I can. And uh, anyway, I, I really do appreciate you tuning in to Blue Lives Radio. And, you know, uh, we've been on the air a little over three years now. And I hear from a lot of my folks that listen to the show that it's, that it's meaningful to you. Thanks again for tuning in, and I'll see you next week.